With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 377. It's titled, What if it's different this time? In last week's podcast episode, and also in the most recent episode of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, I shared some statistics, how six months after a major military campaign or terrorist event, the stock market on average has rebounded, the economy has rebounded, and oil prices have stabilized or fallen. The head of global equity strategy at J.P. Morgan Chase Ms. Lav Mateka said something along the same lines. If one is selling on the back of the latest geopolitical developments now, the risk is of getting whipsawed. Historically, vast majority of military conflicts, especially if localized, did not tend to hurt investor confidence for too long and would end up as buying opportunities. Yet, I am acutely aware and have emphasized on the show that we are not guaranteed the average outcome. We only get one life, one return stream, one pattern of annual stock market and bond returns. We get one series of geopolitical events. We pass through time. We don't get to run a simulation of a bunch of different scenarios and then choose one or take the average. We get one shot. And those averages, be it the average stock market return, the average return of different assets under different scenarios, those averages include extreme events, tail events, which are rare occurrences well outside of the norm. But if you have a scenario where you have a lot of extreme events, fat tails, that actually can skew the average. Tail risk, which is distinct from tail events, tail events are things that occur Tail risk is the personal harm caused by these tail events. In the worst case, tail risk can ruin us. We could die. We could go bankrupt. Our country could be invaded. Tail events and tail risks are based on probabilities, statistics, where there's a defined range of potential outcomes, and the odds can be estimated. Much of life can be defined or framed by probabilities. How likely is some event to occur? Will our house burn down? What's our average life expectancy? That's different if something is uncertain. When something is uncertain, we don't know what could happen. And we don't know the odds of what will happen. We just don't know. The uncertainties are open-ended with many possibilities. One easy way to distinguish between risks and uncertainties is risk you can buy insurance. I have recently repriced our home insurance and auto insurance. The insurance company could come up with a rate for me. We use Policy Genius to do that. But uncertainties, where we don't know what we don't know, we're not sure what exactly could happen, how things will play out, 
those really can't be insured against. We have to follow the precautionary principle, which is in the face of extreme uncertainty, we take preventive action. We did that during the pandemic. When we didn't know how bad COVID-19 was, how it spread, how severe cases would be, we sheltered in place. We closed the economy. When facing uncertainty, we should use a framework that was developed by behavioral economist Leonard Jimmy Savage. His framework was the Minimax regret. That was his approach to decision-making. The idea is to minimize our maximum regret. In the face of uncertainty, we, we don't want to have terrible things happen. We want to minimize the regret that we will feel. That's different from making decisions based on probabilities. Now, when we look at what's going on with Ukraine, there was a report filed by Liz Doucette of the BBC. She pointed out there's a huge armored convoy about 40 miles long and approaching Ukraine's capital, Kiev. She wrote that it is an entirely new and terrifying meaning to the expression, the world is watching. Because we are. We can see the satellite images. We can see the social media clips. But at this point, it's only the Ukrainian soldiers, forces, and civilians that are there to stop it. Doucette says on the ground, Ukraine is on its own. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said recently, a missile targeting the central square of a city is open, undisguised terrorism. It's terrorism that aims to break us, to break our resistance. He gave a video plea to the European Parliament today, Tuesday, March 1st. He said, we are giving our lives for the right to be equal. Prove that you are with us. It will not let us go. Doucette visited a bunker in the Ukraine. A Ukraine journalist said, we'll burn the convoy that's approaching us. A 13-year-old was in the same bunker watching TikTok videos of Prime Minister Boris Johnson and of Chechen fighters with their brutal reputation. He asked, are they coming here too? In the same bunker, there was an Australian businessman, Stephen Rimmer. He said, I'd like to get out as quickly as possible. He was supposed to fly out the day of the invasion, but didn't leave. Now he's stuck. He said, I just didn't think he would do it. Speaking of Putin, Doucette said, not many people here or anywhere thought Russia's President Vladimir Putin would go this far. Yet he has. He launched the biggest attack on a European state, a democratic European state, with a duly elected president. The biggest attack since the Second World War, with thousands of troops going into Ukraine. Missile attacks on cities. Putin's rationale is ridiculous. He said the Russian forces would withdraw only if Russia's legitimate security interests are unconditionally taken into account, including the recognition of Russian sovereignty over Crimea, of demilitarization and denazification of the Ukraine state, and ensuring its neutral status. Fiona Hill is a specialist in Russia. She said, and what Putin is saying now is that Ukraine doesn't belong to the Ukrainians. It belongs to him and the past. 
He's going to wipe Ukraine off the map, literally because it doesn't belong on his map of the Russian world. Now, this show has listeners in the Ukraine. It has listeners in Russia. Both are being harmed. This is not about Russians. This is about Putin. There have been severe international sanctions aimed at Russian banks, Russian companies, and individuals. The initial sanctions were fairly weak, but on Saturday, a number of central banks announced sanctions against the Russian central bank, limiting its ability to liquidate its $630 billion of foreign reserves. Now, only about 16% of those reserves are dollars, 32% are are in euros, and 22% are in gold. But much of those reserves are frozen because they're held in countries outside of Russia. And the ability of Russia to actually trade, for example, to sell dollars to buy the ruble to, to support the ruble has been severely limited. And that led to a significant drop in the ruble. The ruble has collapsed about 30% relative to the U.S. dollar, including a 20% fall just yesterday, Monday. The Russian central bank raised its policy rate to 20% to have a higher interest rate to hopefully attract investments into Russia, people buying the ruble to support it. The Russian stock market is down over 75% year to date. In fact, you can't even trade Russian stocks anymore if you're a foreign legal entity or an individual. You you can't sell your Russian stocks. The Russian bond market has collapsed. There is a much higher risk of default on Russian bonds. And these sanctions, including against specific Russian banks, have had an impact on everyday Russians. Just the ability to use the metro because many Russians used Visa or MasterCard. Apple Pay and Google Pay, they don't work anymore. One individual, Daria, said, I always pay with my phone, but it simply didn't work. There were some other people with the same problem. It turned out that the barriers are operated by VTB Bank. These are the barriers to the metro, which is under sanctions and cannot accept Google Pay and Apple Pay. So this individual had to buy a metro card instead. Now, that's a small inconvenience. A bigger risk and a bigger challenge to Russians is inflation. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you 
earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Russia exports over $400 billion per year, much of which is oil. Europe's natural gas supply, 30 to 40% comes from Russia. They're obviously dramatically rethinking that. But Russia also imports over $200 billion worth of goods. The top imports include cars, medicines, vehicle parts. When a currency collapses, those imports become significantly more expensive, and that jump in price for those imports leads to high rates of inflation, and inflation in Europe, when Russia was already fairly high. It's instructive what Russians did, individuals. In the 90s, after the Soviet Union collapsed, the dollar was the hard currency used. That's what held its value. And Russians kept much of their savings in dollars, hidden away in their houses. And after Russia defaulted on its government debt in 1998, having those dollars was very helpful because, again, the ruble collapsed. Now there's been more stability in Russia, but when Russians face uncertainty, and this is what they're facing, they go to the nearest ATM to withdraw dollars if they can. Now they could in the initial day or two, now they can't. I thought about that this past weekend, and part of it is I'm writing another book, as I've mentioned, focused on money, and the chapter I've been writing has been about the difference between public money and private money. Private money is money held at banks, IOUs from the bank. Public money is currency. And I realized that we didn't have any cash. And I should know better. I have been stranded in Japan without access to an ATM with no cash. I've been to Cuba where there are no ATMs for non-Cubans and almost ran out of cash. My concern was what if there's some type of cyber attack? And I can't get cash. And that cyber attack impacts the food distribution system, the oil distribution system, trucking. I can't get money. Can't run your Visa card or your Amex card. So I was going from ATM to ATM on Saturday to get cash. First, to see how much could I get. I didn't even know what the limit was. I was able to get $900 in cash before I went to a third ATM and they said, you're over your limit. I also learned those limits are attached to the specific card. So LaPro was able to also get cash using her card, even though it's tied to the same bank account. Now, as of yet, we've not seen the cyber attacks that were expected, at least in the Ukraine, the potential to take the power grid offline, even to, to sabotage power plants, make it difficult to get money, gas, and food. I mentioned that 13-year-old still able to access TikTok, the internet. 
But it could happen, and it could happen in your country. It happened in the U.S. last May, where the Colonial Pipeline, the largest fuel pipeline in the U.S., that transports two and a half million barrels a day from the Gulf Coast to the Northeast, it was hacked, and Colonial shut the pipeline down because they didn't know if there was physical damage to the pipeline. And it was down for five days, and it led to long lines at gas stations because many gas stations ran out of fuel and fuel prices were higher. It was the first shutdown of that pipeline in its 57-year history. It was different that time. So we got some cash. And then we've been on the road for five months because we left Idaho in early October. We rented out our cabin, which gets snowed in. You can't even access in the winter except by snowmobile, which we don't own, but our renters do. That's where our stash of food and provisions are. Our house in Arizona is being remodeled. We don't have access to that. So we're going from hotel to Airbnb for five months, and I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't have any food storage. So we went to Sam's Club this past weekend and stocked up on at least something we could store in the car, just in case. I sent a text to our children and to my sisters, not to be alarmist, but we're facing uncertainty. And here's some reasonable preventive actions to take. Fill up your car with gas, have some cash, and have some food to at least last a few weeks if there is some type of cyber attack. Hopefully, it won't get any more severe than that. After those sanctions were levied against Russia, the more severe one, Putin's response was to put the country nuclear forces on high alert. The Economist pointed out that Putin was equating economic sanctions with nuclear war. His whole basis for this invasion lacks credibility. It's just absurd. We don't know what emotional state he's in. We don't know if he'll use nuclear weapons. He shouldn't be there at all. It defies reason. Fiona Hill, who's studied Putin for decades, thinks that he's acting emotionally. He's just not being logical. But it could get even worse. It could be different this time. From an investing standpoint, we should revisit our asset allocation. This is the time not to sell out of fear, but to make sure that we have the right balance between Assets that can compound greater than the rate of inflation versus safe assets that we might need to tap in the near term and can't afford for them to fall in value. There's always a balance between the safe assets and the risky assets. If we're young, we have decades until retirement, or if we have a secure source of income, such as an annuity or pension, we can take more risk. But this is the time to make sure that our allocation is right because of the uncertainty. This is a discipline we should always be doing. Understand what's the potential maximum drawdown with our current asset allocation. I got an email the other day from a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, and he was frustrated by the lack of yield or the low interest rates on bonds and was looking at other potential options. And the reality is bond yields are low. There's essentially no yield on cash. And so we have to decide, all right, 
If we move more in the direction of asset classes that have higher expected returns, but greater downside, can we withstand the potential downside and the impact on our, li- on our lives, on our ability, on our lifestyle? That's the decision. It's a decision made under uncertainty and also risk. There's not a right answer. And for this member, he, he, that's the analysis that he needs to go through. And that's why we offer and compare different model portfolio examples, mainly so people can compare the risk and the reward of different options. How much greater is the maximum drawdown or downside if we go from 50% stocks to 80% stocks? Now, hopefully, things will work out. There'll be a ceasefire that the worst won't happen. But if it did, if this time is different, what additional preventive actions should we take? One of the reasons I'm writing or working on the book that I'm writing is looking what happened in Venezuela and Lebanon, where individuals were just blindsided as their currency collapsed, where they were millionaires but poor because inflation was so high. And if you live in a country where your currency is more volatile, where it's a smaller economy, where there's greater geopolitical risk, do what the Russians did. They held dollars or euros in case something unexpected happened. Perhaps own stablecoin. If you can't get dollars, if you can't get euros, get a stablecoin, which we talked about a few episodes ago, that's backed by dollar assets. There's obviously risks to stable coins, but if that's the option, they are stable and they're backed by dollar assets. I will be looking later this week on investment conditions. I mentioned last week, know your time frame, know your time scale and the level in the financial infrastructure that you operate, be it individual securities, asset classes. I look formally at financial markets on a monthly basis, and I'll be looking at them to see if we should be reducing risk in the face of this uncertainty. I don't know yet. When I say look at your asset allocation, that's a strategic look to make sure that you're positioned appropriately for your lifestyle situation. And then perhaps we make adjustments on a more tactical basis. I'll definitely be looking at that this week. And I've also looked at, well, how, what can I do? Like, I don't know what other governments should be doing beyond sanctions. Should they risk a nuclear war by not just sending arms and weapons to the Ukraine like they're doing and funds and guidance implementing sanctions? Should they be on the ground or in the air with the Ukrainians? Perhaps. I don't know. I do know that we can at least help out. I donated directly to the Ukraine government by sending Bitcoin. Their official Twitter account had a Bitcoin address that you could donate. I donated. You can donate Ethereum. There are other charities you can donate that are trying to help out. There's always a balance. Understanding the probabilities. Understand the averages. Understand our risk profile. Be aware of tail risk, tail events. And we can't let the fear of tail risk and tail events keep us from investing or taking risk at all. But we have to at least have that margin of safety if the worst thing happens. I've made some minor preparations 
like I've discussed today, having some food, having some cash, because we really don't know. Take preventive action while you can now, and then hope for the best, pray for the best, and do what you can to make sure these worst case scenarios don't happen. That's episode 377. Thanks for listening. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com. Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You also access a community of over a thousand members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is Simply General Education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.